Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerdette Book Club. It's just like a normal book club, except sometimes the author stops by. It is somehow the month of December in the year 2021, and we are mixing things up a little this time around with our first ever poetry collection. It's Andrea Gibson's You Better Be Lightning. Andrea's poems are about space and climate change and relationships and chronic illness and trauma and basketball, but above all, about love and light and feeling all the feelings and being better for it. They're here with us now. Andrea, welcome to Nerdette. Thank you so much for having me. And I don't think I've ever had anybody include the word basketball in an (laughs) And an intro for me, and I love it so I much. Mean, there are at least two poems in this collection that refer to basketball. It didn't seem unreasonable. It isn't at all. I love it. And you know, I just I was just reading a book of poetry by Janae Johnson. It's a forthcoming book, and um, and it's it, it it's almost entirely about basketball, oh. and it's so beautiful, and I loved it. So so I, the the more you can say about basketball, I'm down with. <laughs> Perfect. So I thought actually we could start with maybe you reading a poem or two. Are you up for that? Yes, I'm up for it. Awesome. What do you think? Maybe wellness check? Should we start with that one? Let's do it. There are a lot of very long poems in this book, um, but this is a little one and it's called Wellness Check. In any moment, on any given day, I can measure my wellness by this question. Is my attention on loving or is my attention on who isn't loving me? Oh, it's just so good. I feel like this entire interview is just going to be me saying over and over, like, it's just so good, Andrea. Like, oh, my God. God well, you should see my basketball skills and then you'd be doing that <laughs> <it> constantly. <laughs> OK, so let's let's hear another one. Can we do my gender is the undoing of gender? That's a really great one, too. Yes. I wasn't always the pansy I am now. I used to have a perm, and no one on earth is tougher than a butch with a perm, especially when wearing a backward baseball cap, mascara, and a muscle shirt, wallet chain bouncing off my quadricep, military boots, and a look in my eye that said, give me a white flag, and I'll use it for nothing but checking my oil and wiping my sweat. I drove a Z24 Chevy, the muffler built to sound like a motorcycle with a smoker's cough. I cried only in private and spent not a single second alone. My best friends were bar stools and jocks. My shoulder blade sharp as my tongue, which was in a perpetual state of fuck off. But the day I got my first buzz cut, something or everything changed. I looked in the mirror and my tough relaxed. 
My body so at ease, my eyes could no longer hold the flood back. Mascara raced off my face to water my fist, which was no longer a fist, but a carnation in full bloom. Soon, I traded my car for a bicycle with a basket, which I rode to the craft store to buy thread to stitch fabric from the clothes I was wearing into dolls I'd give away as gifts. Too true to be believable, I know, but it is. At the bar, Budweiser in hand, my pinky finger ballerinaed into the air. I looked like a princess sipping tea, about to chase my finger back inside. I sung, good God, Andrew, let that sweet child run free. Andrew, it was the first time I'd said it out loud. And I'd say more now, but it's all quite simple. I became this me so I could finally be the fairy I always was. I cut my hair and grew out my feelings instead. If someday I have a mustache, I know I'll be comfortable wearing a dress. And if I ever have a beard, I am certain I'll be the prettiest girl I have ever been. Mm. I just love that so much. I mean, I think it's a theme that really pervades this collection, which is the idea of of kind of of hardening and softening and the importance of both to a certain extent. Yeah, I love that perspective on it. It it was really fun to write that poem and and thinking about how tough I was, you know, when I back when I had a perm um, and 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 just looking at the progression of my gender over time. It's never been something. I mean, I think early on I thought maybe it was something I thought I would finally land on one day. But what I've I've loved about exploring uh, gender uh, through poetry is that it is constantly changing and evolving for me. I'm constantly becoming. And often I don't know, uh, I don't even know what I'm becoming until I start to write it down. I just love that image of of having a beard and being the prettiest girl in the room. It's just perfect. (laughs) Yeah, me too. So it was really funny preparing for this interview because at this point I've probably done like hundreds of author interviews. I've talked to very few poets And it's, I don't know, it was interesting because I feel like often with author interviews, like I kind of know which ones I can go to and which ones work and which ones don't. And thinking about what to ask you in so many ways, it was, I don't know, it was like, is this even, is this a question I should ask? Like, I felt like I was overthinking it more than I, but at the same time, like, it's all words. I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting as I was thinking about it. You should ask all the questions you wondered if she, if you should ask. Those are my, (laughs) those are my favorite. (laughs) Well, so, you know, and this is one that I have talked to authors about too, because I do think it's a really interesting one around, like, at what point you gave yourself permission to call yourself a poet. Mm. Just because I think especially with poetry, to me, it kind of fits in with like fine art and opera and, you know, these sort of like leisure things of the leisure class, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's obviously not what you're doing here. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I I don't think that I ever knew growing up that you could grow up to be a poet or I knew the Mm -hmm. I knew the I, I mean, professionally, at least I knew that I could write my whole life and I could keep writing poems. Um, but I did not know that I could grow up and be a professional poet. The words don't even naturally fit together, do they? Professional, <laughs> professional poet. No. But I remember, I would say the first five years that I was doing this full time, 
I I was so hesitant to still so hesitant to call myself a poet Mm -hmm. but then at some point it just became a fun thing to do if I was on the airplane and somebody you know asked me what I did for a living I would say I'm a poet just to listen to them laugh because um (laughs) (laughs) you know almost always they would laugh like it was it was an impossible joke which would always just thrill me to know that um, to feel into the amazement of doing something that everybody thinks is impossible and and so much mm-hmm. of, of what went into that even being possible was luck, was privilege, was um, my ability to spend um, the first five years broke. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, but it's just even now I feel into it on probably a daily basis and it just overwhelms me. I could cry at the drop of a hat thinking about how grateful I am that this could possibly be my life. That's gorgeous. Something that I think about a lot with writers, there's sort of a fallacy around authors and books where like everything in novel has to be autobiographical, right? Because, you know, it it's sort of like goes against the idea that someone can have an imagination and can come up with things that didn't happen in their own lives. I think also authors, there are more filters available to someone writing a novel than writing a poem, right? Just in terms of like, you could, you can hide things that might be personal to you in the backstory of a minor character or whatever. Mm -hmm. In a way, like, I feel like with this collection, like, there are no filters, right? Like you have ripped open your chest cavity and are like, here it all is, you know? I mean, is there anything that's not on the table for you that you're not, that you don't want to, you know, that you're not comfortable publishing when it comes to your poetry? Yes. And let me tell you all of what that is right now. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Let's do it. There are are some things that I'm only beginning to, um, Uh, to brave into. And, you know, historically, interestingly, it was illness. I have chronic Lyme Mm. disease. And so I'm in, I'm in community with a lot of people that are very public about having a chronic illness. And for years, even though I would write about it here and there, it was still something that I, I rarely felt comfortable bringing to the stage. I could just feel a vulnerability about myself and a shame that I hadn't worked, uh, I hadn't yet worked through on my own. In regards to uh, feeling, you know, um, responsible for being sick, feeling guilty about being sick, having an illness that not a mm. lot of uh, the world believes is a real thing. Um, there's a lot questioned mm. in the medical world about chronic Lyme disease. And um, and so I've historically avoided that. And then with my recent cancer diagnosis, all of that has gone mm-hmm. out the window for me. And a lot of that was just recognizing that having the support of people, having uh, people know what was going on for me yeah. um, just helped so much. It just helped lifted me. But in regards to this um, collection, yeah, like I, I'm telling Um, I'm telling my own story in such a direct way, probably more directly than I ever have before. It was vulnerable. What I was doing alongside of it, interestingly, is I've been writing this, um, I've been writing the lyrics for an entire album of songs. And all, almost all of those songs are uh, not, they're fiction or they're about somebody else. And I think I was sort of using that as a, as, 
maybe sort of a, a bit of a reprieve or um, a, an escape a little from being so bluntly direct about my own personal life. That's amazing. I'm really sorry to hear about your cancer diagnosis. That sounds super intense and stressful, but also like you're handling it. You know, it's wild because it's so interconnected with this book for me that I I don't know how to talk about this book without um, without talking about it because I, I, I approach the writing of this book, you know, through the lens of, you know, um, I was writing most of it throughout the pandemic. I was writing mm-hmm. um, a lot of it throughout a friend's terminal cancer diagnosis. And so much of this book was influenced by me wanting to write it with a tone of being able to get behind it um, if it were my last words, because I was thinking about mortality so much. I was thinking about the impermanence of life. And um, and there was an energy I put into the writing of it that that wanted to uh, just wanted to write something that if I never said anything again, um, I would be good with the last thing <laughs> that I had said, which made my diagnosis, which came just weeks after I handed in the final draft for this book, so intense. Um, it was it, it, <laughs> yeah. it haunted me, you know, in a way, because I'm like, oh, my gosh, how 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 do how does this mean that I'm definitely going to die? Um, but, you know, with the intensity of it all, it's been it's been a blessing. Um, it has opened my heart in ways that desperately needed opening. And, um, and I've experienced most of this process as a genuine gift. And I say that carefully because, you know, I've had yeah. uh, loved ones die of the same disease and watching a friend recently um, uh, lose her life to cancer. And so I don't want to just say, oh, it's, you know, wonderful and, and a blessing. But so much of it has been for me and the learning that has come from it for myself um, has been a learning that I, I really needed. That's amazing. I don't know. I'm just so impressed with, with the, the grace that you seem to be moving through this with. It wasn't an effort. Like I, you know, I wish it was something that I had done that I had stirred up from my own willpower and my own, you know, commitment, mm-hmm. like I'm going to do this. It was almost going to muster. It yeah. Up. <laughs> wasn't that at all. It was almost as if something just landed. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I got the diagnosis and then it was almost like I could immediately feel my heart open and it sort of traces back to that poem is my attention on loving or is my attention on who isn't mm-hmm. loving me. And I had written that, mm-hmm. you know, before the diagnosis, obviously. But I think that's what immediately happened was um, I hadn't realized how much of my life was about focusing on who was loving me. Like if the world was mm-hmm. loving a poem I wrote or if my partner was loving me enough or if friends were showing up and, and I didn't want that to be how I was living my life. And something naturally just happened where immediately all I could feel was love (laughs) for everyone I knew. (laughs) And uh, I wish we talked about how good that feels, because my experience of um, feeling love for others is is, it feels infinitely larger than the good feeling you get from someone loving you. Um, And so that poem resonates even in a new way to me now. More with Andrea Gibson in just a minute. 
Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. We are back with my conversation with Andrea Gibson about their new poetry collection, You Better Be Lightning. Just a heads up, we touch on issues of mental health and suicide in this part of the conversation. You mentioned before we got started that this is the first interview you've done since it came out in early November. Yeah, I've done a number of written interviews, but this is my first talking interview because I I was worried about my capacity to speak. Chemo impacts your um, memory quite a bit. And also sometimes it it was almost as if my brain just wouldn't work at all. But um, I got this invite and heard wonderful things about this podcast, obviously. And Mm -hmm. then... um, And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to say yes to this and probably say yes to most things afterwards once I I figure out that I know how to talk. (laughs) Well, you're doing great. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So that also means you haven't been able to go on tour for this book. And so much of, of what you're known for and what your career has been is your live performances. Yeah, my career has almost gone more like a musician's career than a writer's career. Yeah. My career was sort of raised up within like the music scene. I would go to, uh, you know, rock clubs to perform and the sound folks doing my sound check would have never had heard of spoken word <laughs> so, ever. Oh, just the one mic? Yeah, they, they didn't know what to call me. They thought I was a comedian, which I'm, oh, I, I can be funny, but, you know, I think, I don't know if I'd call myself, <laughs> I don't know if I'd call myself that. Yeah, like venues had no idea what was happening. And that's been um, one of my dreams as an artist has been to change that landscape, to have music venues be um, consistently booking uh, poets and spoken word artists, um, because I, you know, I, I think it's an art form the world is in many ways just beginning to fall in love with. And mm-hmm. I think once more people discover it, the, they too will fall in love, um, as I did when I first when I first heard it. Well, and I think in so many ways, the world even has a hunger for it. You know, it's like a thing that's missing from a lot of our lives. Yeah. And and what's beautiful about it is I think a lot of people hear it and think, I can do that. And I, and, and I love mm. the idea of, of hearing, you know, lots of people, specifically youth. I love the idea of youth discovering uh, an art form that they would feel like they could do, that they could tell their story, have their story uh, be witnessed and just simply uh, find the healing in that. It's it's a beautiful thing to um, to watch, you know, to stand on stage yeah. and watch people be witness to your story and and as you hope that the the poem would also um, lighten their hearts in a way or unheavy their hearts. Mm, unheavy, I love that. So you've talked about how 
sharing your art has has felt like medicine to you. It's life giving to you. It's it's why you toured as much as you could, even through chronic Lyme disease. Yes. I imagine then the decision to not tour this time around was a really complicated one. It was it was sort of a heartbreaking decision for me, but I also could really feel um, that I've been some of these years over the course of the last seventeen years I've I've done a hundred and eighty shows a year. Oh my and, God, Andrew! Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I thought maybe this would be a good year to take a little bit of a rest and uh, and sort of do what more of my writer friends do, like sort of live a writer's life where I am. Um, living a quieter life and I'm I'm writing and writing and writing and not so much of it is about performing um, even though I do miss it it's it's so special to me and I all over the years I've only fallen more and more in love with the art form itself mm, that's gorgeous so yeah I mean obviously you've had a lot going on over the past two years and some change let alone even you know beyond that one thing I'm always curious to ask people about is just like what their pandemic productivity spectrum looks like mm. these days, you know, like I think especially early on, you know, so much of it was like, oh, next great American novel, like everybody's just getting shit done. Mm -hmm. What what do you think? You know, have you it sounds like you have been writing a lot. My partner is a writer, too, and we had a huge contrast right at the beginning because she dove right into uh, writing and I had absolutely no interest in writing. I just, I crumbled. <laughs> I was so, I was so sad. I was in the middle of uh, doing my favorite um, tour I had ever done. I had written a show that was essentially a live memoir entirely about my love life. And it was, it was so fun to perform. It was funny. It was just, um, it was just different than anything I had done before. It incorporated a lot of live music from songs I had also written. Um, and so when that tour stopped and also, um, I, yeah, I just, I just stopped everything for a bit, but eventually, um, I dove into writing more and I did a lot of, I did online workshops. I, was doing a lot of virtual shows, but it also woke me up to, um, <laughs> you know, how toxic productivity can be and how interlinked right, with capitalism. Right. And, um, and I think it was around that time that I started to really try to separate, um, you know, to pay attention at least to uh, what was this push of capitalism and this push of productivity and and how it was mm -hmm. in a number of ways negatively impacting my spirit and my physical body. And so um, I've I've definitely learned a lot more about taking care of all of that since then. Yeah. So there's a poem in this collection called Note to the Stranger Six Feet Away. Um, it's the most explicitly covid -y poem in here. Mm -hmm. um, how intentional was that? I don't know. I feel like my like my interest in consuming covid content is really particular these days, you know, where it's like I don't I don't want it in my TV shows. I don't want it in my novels like this shit is all fiction. Can we just pretend like it didn't happen? <laughs> but then again, I mean, obviously, there's so much processing that needs to happen with all this, too. I don't know. What do you think? You know, I I almost included more in it, and I know what you mean. I was watching a show last night, and there were no 
you know, there were no masks. The COVID wasn't right, happening. Like that's disorienting too, but I kind of prefer that. Oh, me too. Yeah, you know? yeah, me too. Uh, I think like it, it just, it's, it's hard to relax into seeing this thing that is just uh, so devastating and not to turn uh, our heads from it, I guess, in the news or whatever, but that poem, there's one moment in it, and I'm seeing if I can find it in the book right now, or I'll try to remember. Oh, yeah. um, but there, were, I can't find it, so I'll just see if I can remember. Um, yeah, it was something like, um, I don't want to forget anything about this, especially how it feels to worry about everyone I love at the same time. So much of the world had been doing that already. And... Um, did you find did you find the page or did you just remember it? Because that's exactly what. Yeah, it is. I just remembered it. I write a lot of my poems in my head before they find their way into the book, so I have a lot of them in my head. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, and that sentiment is important to me to touch into the fact that, like, you know, for example, being black in the United States, you're worrying about everyone in your family all the time, all the time. Um, and and I had never had that experience before um, of what it is to worry about everyone at the same time. And I think that there's something uh, vital in recognizing that folks are living in situations in the world all the time where they're always their lives are always threatened and the lives of their family and everyone they love uh, are always threatened. And so that part I don't want to lose touch with. Um, but I don't know if it was a very specific thing where I didn't include a lot of it in um, in the book, but it is there um, throughout in, in tone and in just how much I'm, I think, talking about death. That's true. So... What do you see as your role as a poet? Hmm. That's a great question. Because I, I think about that a lot, and it has changed for me. I remember early on, I was thinking my role as a poet to, was, was to just constantly improve my craft, even though I didn't really know much about it. And then sometime around 2009 or 2010, um, I recall I, I wrote a poem. It was the first um, poem that I had written that directly spoke uh, about suicidality and my own own experience with struggling to stay alive at different times and struggling to want to stay alive. And around the time that I wrote that poem, um, my experience at my live events and, and online as well changed significantly where I was having so many more conversations uh, with folks about their experiences and it all just became a bit more communal um, or a lot more communal. I stopped not even being able to use the word fans. The word fans still like sits poorly with me. Um, It just Mm -hmm. felt more like community. I was learning from people. People were constantly giving me feedback on poems that I've written that might be hurtful to folks. And so it was always this learning about um, tapping into other folks to uh, know what um, wasn't being saying and what I might have to offer um, in those spaces. But at that point, I stopped caring. <laughs> this is, I don't know if this is great to say publicly, but I stopped caring as much about being a good poet um, and started caring more about um, the impact of my poems in regards to social justice and how they might impact 
um, you know, communities that I was a part of. I think that's a beautiful thing to say publicly. Yeah, well, to say you don't care if you have any skill as a writer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. Well, you care less about that than you did before. Before, It's not that you don't care at all, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I care. My partner is so, like, her craft is stellar. She's constantly learning, constantly taking classes. And I've never done much of that. And I, I so respect it on people. Um, I just, that's not really what I've done. Well, and if people are responding to it the way they are, you know, I don't think you need to feel bad about that or anything, you know? No, I won't. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much for talking with me. I'm so glad you took the leap back into talking about your stuff. And I'm just sending you nothing but good vibes with your test results. Thank you so much for having me. And really, this is a a treasure of a moment because now I know that I can do it. And um, and now I get to just go talk and talk and talk to everybody. Yep. Andrea Gibson's newest collection is called You Better Be Lightning. Read it and then let us know what you think. If you had a favorite poem or even just a specific line, do you read poetry often? Let us know. Share your hot takes. You can record yourself on your smartphone and then email the file to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. Then tune in on Tuesday, December 29th to hear the discussion. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman. Our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. We will see you on Friday. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.